see if I can get all this working now. There we go. The text I wish um, to unpack together is in here somewhere. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So there's a little bit of ambiguity in English of this verse that is not there so much in the Greek. And there's actually three ambiguities that when we say we lost something, uh, in English we usually mean or imply by accident, right? Like, well, I lost my keys. I didn't mean to, I just, I just lost them. Um, but the weight of the Greek is more like when we say in English, um, uh, now you lose that toy, <laughs> which is a phrase I say very often in my home. But it's um, the loss, not, not an accidental loss, but the loss of forfeiture. Similarly, with the finding, it's not the finding in the sense of stumbling on, like, oh, I found a quarter. It's a hunting down, an intentional uncovering, a dogged seeking. The third ambiguity is that the life that is sought or lost variously in Jesus' teaching is not so much biological life, just like eating and breathing, um, but personal life. The life of the inner person, the personality, the self. So having clarified the, those ambiguities, let's attend to the meaning. Jesus warns us that if we find our life, we will lose it. So what does that mean to find your life? Um, I think there's a lot of layers of meaning that could be unpacked, but I think central, the core of the meaning, when we look at the context of, in which Jesus says this, where he's just spoken about um, dividing father from son and mother from daughter, which was the chief way you found personal identity in the first century. I think of all the times in the Bible when it says, you know, so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. Like the family you came from was how you identified yourself. Translating that context into our 21st century, I would offer um, this sort of uh, uh, d extrapolation of the phrase finding your life. To be obsessed and invested in your own personal identity. Obsession with personal identity uh, can take a lot of forms. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to list the ones that I've fallen into, the traps that I've fallen into, and I invite you to ask the Spirit to help you consider your own. So an obsession with um, personal identity could look like an obsession with self-discovery um, through self-help books or otherwise an over-fascination with what kind of person I am. Perhaps a self-defensive reliance on a Myers-Briggs code or an Enneagram number. An obsession perhaps with personally identifying with a particular group. Um, identity in which you find admirable. So for me, at different points in life, it, it's been that I'm a Brit, or I'm a theater guy, or I'm a reader, or I'm a Wisconsinite. Maybe it's an obsession with a physical trait, like, oh, I'm the tall guy. An obsession perhaps with curating a presentation of myself to others from the brands that I wear or drive, or not in my case, drive, actually. This is, I've had a lot of very bad cars in my life. Um, the books on my shelf, that's something I struggle with. The kind of fancy food and drink I eat, the people I associate with, the ideas that I want to be known for espousing. 
It's a curation of the self that extends into social media with pictures and comments. I'm telling the world exactly who I am, right? Catch the scare quotes. These obsessions often call for investments of time and money to buy this or that thing, to be at this or that place, to have this or that experience, to look this or that way. When we are obsessed with and invested in our personal identity, um, it becomes this increasingly heavy thing. The image that came to mind as I was reflecting on the scripture was that of a cannonball. Like the more we invest in it, the more we're like holding tight to this cannonball of the self. And Jesus says in the, his judgments, which often are described in the language of Noah's flood in the Bible, when the flood of judgment comes, we're going to sink in it. Right? Whoever finds his life will lose it. You'll actually lose your life by clinging to the cannonball of obsession with personal identity. In case you missed it, that's a picture of being cast away from God forever. The stakes for this are high. So we should run from seeking to find our life, right? And instead, as Jesus tells us, to lose your life for his sake, which I think means little by little, because um, it's hard, we never do these things all at once, um, to let go of the cannonball of personal identity. To be willing, for Christ's sake, to become less in the eyes of the world. I don't think it's the same as less objectively, but it certainly will feel like it to do so. To be willing to be less impressive, less intelligent looking, less beautiful, less interesting, less tied to any group identity, less unique, less focused on ourselves generally, worrying less about how we look. And I think, of course, a natural part of this would be less invested in image curation on social media. In general, taking our worldly identity just less seriously. Getting rid of any stock that we've placed in past worldly honor, or accolade, or title, or heritage. To be willing to be known simply uh, as a Christian. By which I don't mean someone who just believes the Christian teachings, though that is a part of it. I actually mean the much more robust picture of being a Christian that's put forward um, many, many times in Paul's letters of being in Christ Jesus, right? which sort of has this twofold meaning depending on the chapter that phrase occurs in, um, being baptized into his death and living, by, living in him by faith. So it's faith and baptism in which we are found in Christ in the present. That's actually why we'd be motivated. Who would want to get rid of these things that looking good in the eyes of the world? The reason is, is that we would lose these things deliberately forfeit them is so that we could gain Christ more fully. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of a, a scene from a movie I love, which I think is often wrongly maligned, uh, 2009 uh, Avatar. Have you guys seen Avatar, the movie? Uh, great film. Uh, I really like that film. There's one um, sage-like character who says to this new convert, uh, it's hard to fill a cup that's already full. And I looked to see if that was some piece of like ancient Tao wisdom or something. It's not. It's apparently just from the movie. But, um, but I think there's actually a seed of gospel truth in that statement. It's hard to fill a cup that's already full. If our lives are full of ourselves, there's no room for Jesus, right? That's why we must lose our lives to gain true life in Christ. This is the same logic we just heard in Romans chapter 6. If we've died with him, well, then we'll also live with him. If we've died to sin, we can live to God. 
we seek to lose our own lives to be found in Christ's life. So, you know, this saying of Jesus comes right after he says, take up your cross, which we think of as sort of self-denial. But self-denial isn't just um, denying ourselves things. It actually, in full form, it means denying yourself, right? It's a, it's a near synonym for losing your life. Actually displacing your personal identity for Christ's sake. The process of losing our lives, and it is a process, which creates more space for Christ. It also, along the way, creates more space for others. Like so much in the Christian life, anything that has this vertical component uh, has a horizontal component too. Just like Jesus says that the way you show that you love God is if you love the brother who you see. When we lose our self-created selves, what Jesus calls our lives, not only will we be able to pass through judgment because we won't be weighed down, but along the way we'll have made more space for other people beside ourselves. When we become less obsessed with our personal identifiers, we make more room for other people, other selves. One of the effects of taking, of heeding Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, um, will be a deep disposition towards true hospitality. And I had this in mind when we first, first spoke about hospitality as part of the DNA of the Good Shepherd. Not just sort of making room in our houses and offering a cup of tea, hot or cold, depending. But making room in your heart for other people. And the only way you can do that is if there is room in your heart for other people. A hospitality of the heart. It's one of the great themes of the late Henri Nouwen, a hospitality of the heart. And he was uh, a very holy man, um, so fully yielded to the love and the will of God. And he wrote very eloquently. So I want to close with his words. This is Henri Nouwen. Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. The paradox of hospitality is that it wants to create emptiness, not a fearful emptiness, but a friendly emptiness where strangers can enter and discover themselves as created free, free to sing their own songs, speak their own languages, dance their own dances, free also to leave and follow their own vocations. End quote. I love that quote. To sum up then, he who loses his life makes room for others. He who loses his life makes room for Christ. He who loses his life for his sake finds it. Amen.